Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, we get an update from Ellen. And if you have not heard the episode with Ellen, you should probably check it out. You can listen to it after you, you listen to this one, but I'm looking at the YouTube video, which was very popular. And that was published back in March of 2018. And it has 13,126 views at the point that I am recording this right now with 282 likes, which is pretty good. Pretty good for one of my videos. Actually, it's excellent. One of the most popular videos that I've published and just in general, one of the best success stories. So I got an update from Ellen, but I'm gonna sort of recap that initial interview a little bit. And Ellen sent me an email in the last few weeks here. And I think it was like April, May, it must've been May of, of 2020 here. And she was like, Hey, I've been, you know, kind of off the map here for a little while, but I wanted to give you an update. So I have an update and she's doing really well. She wanted me to share that she kind of disappeared because she was you know, taking some family time. She had a child and uh, they're doing well. So she loves being a mom and, you know, congratulations, Ellen. And thanks for sending out the update. So we're going to dig into some of the details, including like the first contact, had our first conversations, I guess, because it's interesting as I get, you know, pitches here and there for sometimes they're success stories. Sometimes they're just sort of some sort of self-promotional uh, email that someone is just reaching out. And then, you know, sometimes people say, Hey, I got a great story. And then they don't tell me anything. They're, they're like, I got a great story. And then they like fizzle out. So I don't know if they just want, they changed their mind or if they actually didn't have a great story. And then they realized that they didn't want to, you know, go through with it. I'm not sure. But anyway, Ellen, Ellen uh, checks out here. Everything's good with her. Before we get into it, we have a couple things going on. Uh, this episode is brought to you in part by Ezoic, and you should check out their site, Speed Accelerator. And I mentioned this in the last couple episodes, but I just want to reemphasize that it is best in general to use the, the DNS version, the DNS um, sort of link up with Ezoic versus the WordPress plugin. Sure, the WordPress plugin may be slightly easier to implement, but in general, you end up with potential for more conflicts and a little bit less functionality. So what you're able to get when you use their DNS servers is the caching and the CDN, which typically you're going to have to pay another company for the CDN. So you get, oh, wow, my, my voice cracked a little bit. That happens sometimes. But basically you're able to get that content delivery network, the CDN. So when, you know, when someone is trying to load your site across the country, they're getting the data from a server that's a little bit closer to them and helps their site load faster. So anyway, you can check out the seven-day free trial for the Site Speed Accelerator and see if it works for you. They guarantee, I believe it's over 80%, or not 80%, but 80 on the Google Page Speed Insight score. So it's really good at optimizing those areas that bring that score down and you know, the user experience improves too when the site loads faster. So thanks to Ezoic. Getting back to the initial emails that Ellen sent over to me, 
it was pretty cool because she she had a lot of data. And I think the people that watched or, you know, maybe you remember seeing this interview out there, she had a lot of data she was bringing to the table. And she said, hey, I have a success story. Maybe you're interested in it and let me know. I'm happy to come on and talk about how the keyword golden ratio is working really well for me. So she sent over a ton of screenshots, traffic data, and a lot of commentary about what was going on. So without a doubt, I knew she was authentic because there were just so many details in there and everything added up, of course. So as I look here, she did mention that she started the site in, I think it was July of 2017 and slowly grew the site. And actually it ended up, I say slowly, but she was publishing a lot in the first six months. And, you know, there was a little traction, but nothing crazy. So first published article was in July of 2017. And then when I was chatting with her, within eight months, she hit $3,000 in one single month, which is amazing within eight months. She mentions in the original interview that you know, she wasn't casually working on this. She was working on this relatively full time, putting in, you know, long days, publishing a lot of content. And the content is high quality, long form content. It was a brand new domain. I think that's important to note. Some people try and pick up an age domain or an expired domain, which unless you know what you're doing, I really don't recommend that. You may as well just start off with a brand new domain or buy an existing site that you can see is just a regular old blog. And she mentions that she started publishing KGR content in August and into October of 2017. And then in the middle of October, she started to get 100 visitors per day and then several hundred per day by mid-November of 2017. These were all pretty much KGR terms, which is awesome. And she told me that weekends are her best performing days for traffic. And I mean, that's kind of typical from what I've seen. And then back in March of 2018, she had 45,000 page views for the last month or so, which is you know pretty awesome again for a site that is seven to eight months old at that point. So again, I encourage you to check out the the full interview and episode. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. When she sent me the email just last month in, in May, she wanted to weigh in on the Amazon updates and just give an update on, on where she is with her site. So she told me that April, the revenue was over $12,000 on her main site. And that's from Amazon affiliate commissions. She didn't note here, um, at least I don't see it right in this section, whether or not she was earning from other sources. I have a feeling there's probably some ads going on. I think a lot of folks are, are and have been moving to a multi-revenue stream kind of model. So not just Amazon affiliate, but other affiliate programs out there of which there are hundreds, there's countless other affiliate programs that you could work with, and then display ads as well. So she mentions that traffic had been, or sorry, not traffic, but the earnings have been increasing over the last few months and traffic has increased a little bit, but not in pr proportion to the growth in revenue. So it sounded like she was 
roughly in the five to $6,000 range for a little while. And then it had just been growing a little bit until it hit the 12,000 mark, which is awesome. For a lot of people, the you know five figures per month is sort of a, a benchmark. People look at that and even after you're paying taxes here in the US or wherever, whatever country you live in, you know, if you're, if you're making 10 K a month, you have a decent amount of spending money, even after you pay your taxes and, and handle, you know, any of sort of uh, business expenses there. She mentions as of now, I haven't noticed any change in revenue due to the commission rate changes. This was very soon after the commission rate changes. So she was wondering if some of the products were shipped late or something like that. And maybe some of the commission rates had not adjusted yet or something like that. She didn't know, but I've actually heard that from several people at this point where they're earning about the same as they were before. And I'm, I'm not sure if it's due to a little, a little more uh, sales just in general and the volume is making up for the lower commission rate. Or I actually have one of my sites, it, it's not affected, like it, it was not impacted. So or at least from what I could see, um, it's not impacted. The majority of the stuff that people bought was in the category and the category was unchanged. The crazy thing is her conversion rate is 27%. And she mentions that her conversion rate tends to be quite high regardless. Usually over 20% of the clicks convert and I usually convert about 20% of the page views. So around 20% of those who visit my site click through to Amazon. 27%. I don't know if I've ever seen anything that high. I personally have had in the the high teens, maybe peaked up right at 20, but I don't, I don't think it has. So her content must be ultra, just specific, ultra targeted for people that really want to buy. And the other thing is I have a feeling, and I didn't confirm this with Ellen, but I'm pretty sure that people that are clicking those links, if, if that many are buying, if, if that, 27% conversion rate is reported by Amazon is, um, I mean, they, they know, they basically know they're going to Amazon and they want to purchase. Sometimes I see people put affiliate links on their site and they just put it like on a word, like wireless mouse. And then someone clicks on the word mouse that happens to be a link over to Amazon. And maybe they didn't want to go buy anything. They, they thought maybe they were going to another page on the person's site or maybe learning more information about that particular mouse or something like that. But basically, my hunch is when someone clicks on the link to Amazon, they know exactly where they're going and they want to buy something. She has a little bit of a rant here on the in a positive way on the commission rate change. So I know a lot of people were quite upset, had a few people on the show that were pretty upset. A lot of people were impacted greatly, like myself and actually a lot of folks that listen to this show. So it's her thoughts. So it's quite possible that it's a permanent change, but it's also possible that it's not. It's also possible that Amazon doesn't know yet what they plan to do going forward. Even if Amazon had been considering this change for quite some time, it's still pretty obvious that it's related to the sudden and significant change in supply and demand due to COVID-19. They've had to do something and quickly to essentially slow down consumer purchases. They don't have the supply to meet the demand, nor do they have the supply chain capacity to meet it. 
Jeff Bezos announced yesterday, and again, this was a little bit further back. So Jeff announced yesterday that all of Amazon's Q1 profit of $4 billion would be reinvested to address and adapt to the changes caused by COVID-19, including increasing capacity, worker safety measures, etc. This confirms that they are having to adapt and rapidly, and this costs money. So whether or not the commission changes are permanent for affiliates, the timing of it is likely due to necessity, not greed. She continues, as a niche site publisher, you are a business owner. You have to make decisions that are in the best interest of your business. This does not always mean that it will work out as fairly as those you employed would like. Now, while this does not mean you're an abusive or manipulative employer, it does mean that you try to get services for as cheaply as possible. Are you complaining that Amazon is screwing you, the backbone of its business, the driver of traffic to its products? Well, then how much are you paying your writers? Are you not also likely trying to get content for as cheaply as you can while also maintaining a certain level of quality? If you're paying your writers top rates, then good for you. But my guess is you're paying lower rates to keep your expenses low and give yourself the highest profit margin possible. Amazon is doing the same. The optics of it are not great and do appear heartless, but I think it's also important to keep in mind that Amazon is dealing with challenges to its business now that it has never faced before, and they have to do what's best for their business, even if it means hurting affiliates, as the consequences of not adapting their business would be even more devastating. They could result in worker layoffs, could result in even further delays of vital products during a time of crisis and scarcity. When I first started looking into the Amazon affiliate program, rates were like 4%, and I thought that this was great at the time. 3% is not great to compared to what I was previously making or what many were previously making, but it's actually not that bad. It is still possible to build a business around this, especially if you diversify your revenue streams. It's all about perspective. My opinion may not be popular, but I prefer not to look for excuses and just pivot my strategy. A couple thoughts on that. I mean, I think Ellen, she has some good points. And, and when we when we look at it, Amazon they crush a lot of a lot of pieces of uh, different areas of business, and you know they have shareholders that they have to answer to. So it's not, I mean, it's so far disconnected from like a business being nice or not. So I think when you're looking at Google or Amazon or Apple or some of these other big companies, really not there to be your friend or anything like that. I mean, I still shop at. Amazon. I'm not super happy with the commission rate changes, but as Ellen said, it's just part of the business. And as I was part of the ecosystem, both with Google and Amazon, we have to deal with whatever it is they throw at us. They have the the customers, they have the eyes, they have the audience. So if we want to play in their sandbox, we just have to deal with the rules that they are giving us. We really have no recourse. We really can't do anything about it. I think I saw um, there was a one of those petitions for changing the commission rate back. And I, I don't know what's going on. It's like the middle of the day. I haven't talked much today at all, but now I can barely speak. I thought it was cute to be honest with you, that a bunch of people got together and they put a petition together to try to get a huge company like Amazon to to change a policy that affects, I mean, there's a lot of us, but there's not that many of us. 
and I imagine they, didn't, they don't really care. I imagine they probably didn't even look at it. So yeah, I thought it was cute. And I thought it was a little silly that, you know, people put time in to try and get, actually, I'm interested. Shoot me an email if, if you think I'm crazy for that. But I'm just like, Amazon doesn't give a shit. They're not gonna like read the petition and think, wow, we really, uh, you know, we did some bad stuff impacting a lot of people out there. And we really, you know, maybe we should revisit this idea. I really doubt any of that happened. So anyway, yeah, we have to pivot our business. If I've said this so many times, but if you have traffic on your site, you have an asset, you can figure out something to do with that. And as I am exploring other options, there are, there are literally companies out there that help publishers like us work together with other companies, retailers that have affiliate programs. Sometimes they can get us more favorable rates. They can help us put together brand deals where perhaps you have a, a bigger social following or maybe you have a podcast or a YouTube channel or some other piece of your platform. And potentially companies want to work with you. They just, they don't have a good channel to contact us and we don't have a good channel to contact them. But companies like Target or Home Depot, they have marketers who serve as a sort of an intermediary between us and the retailer and can help us work together. So, you know, you have to find those folks. And actually I have a few contacts um, myself, but you know, that's through, through my network and it's inside my, my course and some other areas like that. So it's just not openly available because you don't want to open the, I mean, there's affiliate programs out there, but these are just sort of premium rates, premium relationships. So it's definitely worth checking out. And again, I mean, people are shifting more um, at this point to a diversified revenue model, a blended revenue model where there's more display ads potentially. I know some people really enjoy just these really intrusive <laughs> or they put these really intrusive ads on their site and I, I can't stand those, to be honest with you, so I sort of tread lightly, but you also could potentially have a, a deal with a company where you're just advertising. It's just a banner ad on your site, so you don't have to go through a an ad network where potentially it makes your site load much slower. I would, I would hate that, and I know my friend Matt Jevanisi also does not want his site to load slow. And I think even right now, he's still not putting any ads on his site. He wants to keep his site loading fast and he just doesn't want to do it, which is crazy. I mean, a couple of his sites have so much traffic that, I mean, it's crazy that he doesn't have any on there. I mean, I, I would imagine he should at least test it and see how it goes. I think um, the impact could be a little bit less than he thinks and he could you know, earn a lot of money because there's a lot of informational content on his sites. But I digress a little bit. I have an update and I literally just recorded this episode earlier today and I shot Ellen an email just to see what was going on. And she gave me an update after the commission rate change in April. So as I mentioned before, the data, the info that she sent me originally was just days uh, maybe a week or two after the change in April. So anyway, she mentions that she got the revenue up to 12K. 
at its peak and then the revenue has dropped significantly with those Amazon changes and she's hovering around four to 5,000 per month. Traffic's still good. She's putting ads on the site and monetizing in some other ways to help bring in some more revenue. So I'm going to, I'll leave it at that. I think probably before too long, I'll maybe, I'm not sure, but I may be able to convince Ellen to join, join me again live for an interview and we can hear more about what she has going on. So it was a little bit surprising uh, when she sent it over and I was like, oh shoot, I just recorded this. I just got it over to the editor and I was thinking, well, I can't, can't not give the update since I do have the information. So just wanted to let everyone know that. And, you know, I think our, our sort of impression stands where you have traffic to a site, you have skills in bringing traffic to your site. You have skills in writing content, you know, SEO, you know, some of the web design portion, you have skills and you have traffic to your site. So you have an asset. Anyway, just wanted to give you that update about Ellen since it's hot off the presses. So that was update from Ellen. And thanks to Ellen, if you're listening to this, for sending that over. I think it's pretty awesome that she's just, you know, stuck with the journey. And I, I find that is sort of the common trait from the other people that I interview with the success stories and, and myself. It's just if you stick with it long enough and you're, you know, consistent, you don't have to do an awesome job every single day. But if you do a good job more days than not, you're probably going to work out okay. So I'm going to read a few emails and thanks to the people who, who have been sending in emails. I did ask about some feedback about having guests on the show and sort of some options out there. I got a lot of emails, really appreciate it. So I'm going to read, um, I'm going to try and read all of them out or at least most of them. I may not, I may not be able to read them all. So David wrote, I love the idea of you getting paid to have someone on your show. Typically, I love to hear people like Matt Javanisi, Derek Bingham, Ben Adler, Adrian Diaz, John Dykstra, and the other success stories and those people that have products or services that would be helpful to us. And I also love the idea of you getting paid to have someone on your show though. So do it. So thanks, David, for sending that in. And I think as we go through these, you'll you'll hear the trend. You'll hear the trend. All right. John says, I've been a Doug Show listener from the beginning and enjoy your many useful and actionable episodes. You recently asked for listener feedback and an opinion. Here it goes. Yes, I think you should definitely go for those paid interviews. Most people won't care about pushing a product as long as they're also offering valuable info and advice in return. General Doug Show feedback and hopefully to get more downloads. These are things that I love and hate about the current show. Love, your honesty and genuineness really shows through. As a Brit, I especially like your self-deprecating humor. Number two, your interviews where you get down to the real nitty-gritty details of people's sites and success. Hate, he doesn't like the personal stuff, my sleep issues, personal finance, house moving, to get to the internet marketing content I subscribe for. And the he blanked it out, the effing swearing. I hope this helps. Stay safe and looking forward to your continued success. So thanks, John, for sending that over. It's always good to get 
you know, the, the negative feedback too because it helps me understand what people want. So I try not to be ne- defensive in any any way either, because I understand that when I get that feedback, I just need to accept it. However, I will mention, and actually, I want more feedback on this too. So John doesn't want to hear about my personal stuff and just wants to get to the internet marketing stuff that I subscribe for. So a couple things on that. Number one, I understand. I 100% understand that. Number two, I named it the Doug Show and not something more keyword rich or anything to describe the show to at least give me the mental flexibility of talking about whatever I want, even if it's travel. I think I did you know, four episodes with my wife on Tiger King. I mean, that's just random, random stuff. And the thought that I have is, yes, I understand, especially when I've listened to some shows where I did want to hear some actionable content and then I didn't really enjoy the personality of the host and they just really just talked about themselves the whole time. And it was really annoying in this particular person that I'm thinking of, he was doing an interview show. So he was interviewing someone and then he was just doing a bad job of interjecting his own ideas because it just sounded like he was just talking about himself. Now, typically when I have a guest, I do try to just focus on the guest and I'm not really, I'm not really talking about myself except as it aids the interview process. Sometimes it helps people think of some ideas for their answers if I can give them a little example. The thing is, I've listened to a few shows where I think they they were marketing related and there was literally no personal stuff and it was like going to like a, a lecture or it was just so sterile and vanilla. I would I never listened to any of the other episodes cuz I didn't really care about the person. It was a little too brief. It was a little too slow. And the thing that I find, this is so interesting, John, because you you don't like this part, but the random stuff that you're talking about, those are the things that people send me emails about. Personal finance, the sleep issues, books that I'm reading or shows that I'm watching. People stop what they're doing. They send me an email and they say, hey, I... I actually have a personal experience in that too. So the people that connect with it, like really connect. And I respect the fact that, you know, you don't care about that stuff. And obviously it's easy enough to skip over those areas. But I do find the personal stuff, like the the listeners seem to be stickier and they care a little bit more than, you know, it sounds like you actually like the honesty and the genuineness of the shows and and that sort of thing. So I think maybe you're more in the middle. I'm putting words in your mouth now, John, but, but basically I do put the personal stuff in there. It does give me a little bit of an outlet and the additional benefit is I think it does build a a deeper connection because people actually get to know me versus me, you know, making an episode 15 minutes long instead of 40 minutes long. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of times I could say things in a shorter manner for sure. And as far as the nitty gritty details of people's sites and success, yeah, people love that. I I hear that over and over again. And people actually like, listen, everyone out there, people like to hear 
the early part of success stories. So a lot of times someone's like, hey, I want to wait until I'm making 2000 per month or 5000 or 15000 per month. They keep they want to wait so they can, I'm not sure, maybe it's um, a bit of vanity and they want to come out and say, oh, I'm, I'm like really one of the high success stories here. But really, people want to hear about 200 to $2,000 per month. Like there's more people trying to get to that stage than people trying to get to $15,000. If you're like, hey, I'm making $15,000, you're a little bit less relatable. And I, I, I know it's it's one of those things people just want to wait a little bit longer. I just want to wait one more month because I think I could hit that next threshold. And um, really, people want to hear about your early stories. So if you're kind of in that early range, let me know. I'm looking for more guests for the show. Gaurav hit me back with an email as well. And... He wants to hear more grassroots entrepreneurs. They're the most relatable, and I've found the stuff coming from those in the trenches to be the most actionable. So thanks, Garaf, for sending that over. That echoes a lot of some of the other chatter that I've heard. Frederico also wrote that I'm a big fan of the show and the content. Thanks for sharing so much information. I enjoy the grassroots interviews a lot more than the established guys as they are more relatable and overall feel more real. I may not have a huge niche site portfolio yet, but I've been in digital marketing all my career and I have heard the story of the big guys already. So hearing it again and being uh, pimped out their new book or their new course really isn't of interest to me. The smaller guys who managed to build a successful site, even if bringing in a few hundred dollars per month or more inspirational to me, as I know how tough it is to build something while having a full-time job, family, and living a normal life. So thanks, Fed. Appreciate that. So I think all the votes are in, and it sure does sound like people want to hear more success story interviews from just regular folks. And I, you know what? I can't even remember what I was saying um, in that other episode, 149, even though it was like a week ago. I may have said, ah, you know what? It's not as exciting to do those interviews as much for some reason. But as I hear from more people and I you know, recall back when I was first getting started, when I'm hearing from just more folks, I want to get another success story for the keyword golden ratio. I want to hear about someone making under $1,000 per month. They're out there and it's by far the most popular episodes, very relatable, especially when when I publish them on YouTube. I think those tend to take off a little bit more. I do appreciate all the podcast listeners, and I think there's a lot more sort of connection with the podcast listeners versus the the YouTube folks. But one interesting thing is when when things start to take off on YouTube, they'll get you know two thousand views in a week or so, while on on the podcast, it's sort of a core set of listeners. A few of the episodes seem to take off a little bit more, but I don't have, I mean, this is sort of a small industry, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not growing as, as quickly, you know, at this point, things are just kind of trucking along even almost, I, I would say almost stagnant, which is interesting because traffic's up on my website. I'm, I'm getting more views on YouTube, but 
it seems like fewer people are turning to podcasts, which is a little interesting. Um, but I guess maybe people listen to podcasts while commuting. A lot of people are not commuting right now. So if you do have the opportunity to share the podcast with a friend, that is fantastic. That I think is probably the best sort of uh, recommendation. It's great to get the reviews. It's great to get a little bit of feedback here and there. But you know, if you want to help out the show, people have actually sent several emails on this in the past. I, I would just love it if you shared the show with someone that you think would like it. So if they're thinking about making some money online, if they're looking to start a website or they're interested in what you're doing, that's the way we could sort of grow this thing out. And like I mentioned, it is sort of a small industry. It feels big. It feels like affiliate marketing is huge. There's a lot of big folks out there and I'm just a, a little guy, but overall, it's kind of a small market. I mean, I know there's huge, huge podcasts just around affiliate marketing. So I have a long ways to go, but I feel, I feel like, oh man, maybe I need to broaden the scope a little bit. But I mean, this is uh, grassroots. I mean, this is what we're doing. We're building sites, building sites from scratch, trying to get more traffic, trying to dodge and figure out algorithm updates and pivot when we need to, when the commission rate changes. So I'm going to leave it at that today. I'm going to get out of here. Have a good one out there. We'll catch you on the next episode. 